You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, January 29th, 2021. For their support, we'd like to thank HPE Rentals since 1994, offering equipment rentals for contractors, homeowners, and businesses. Open daily and reminding listeners equipment rental is an environmentally sustainable option. HBE Rentals information at gohbe.com. Well, coming up after a look at our local news headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national headlines. Then we're going to talk with Stephanie Fisher, the executive director of the Community Beyond Violence. They're presenting an awareness forum called Domestic and Sexual Violence, How It Touches Us All, happening this Saturday. The Public News Service will report on how Oregon lawmakers could freeze mega-polluting dairy farms in the state. And we'll close out our newscast with the Grass Valley Downtown Association report with Marnie Marshall. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. President Biden has signed a series of health care-related directives he describes as reversing the damage done by former President Donald Trump, which include taking action to rescind the target anti-abortion rules. I'm not initiating any new law, any new aspect of the law, President Biden said in remarks from the Oval Office. The president said he is restoring the Affordable Care Act and restoring Medicaid to the way it was before Trump became president, saying that Trump made health care more inaccessible, more expensive, and more difficult for people to qualify for. President Biden's executive order allows for healthcare.gov, the federal health insurance marketplace, to open for a special enrollment period from February 15th through May 15th, which will allow Americans more time to sign up for health insurance coverage. The order also directs federal agencies to review rules and policies to ensure they do not hinder Americans' access to health care, such as those that may reduce affordability of health coverage or undermine the Affordable Care Act's protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Biden has stressed that the coronavirus pandemic underscores the need for access to health care. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a law that extends eviction protections through the end of June. Last year, Newsom signed a law that banned evictions for unpaid rent for tenants who paid at least 25% of their rent owed after September 1st. That law was set to expire on Monday, but the new law Newsom signed yesterday extends those protections through June 30th. Tenants who qualify for the protections will still owe their rent, they just can't be evicted for not paying all of it. The law would use federal stimulus dollars to pay off 80% of some tenants' unpaid rent, but only if landlords agree to forgive the remaining 20%. If landlords refuse the deal, the law would pay off 25% of tenants' unpaid rent to make sure they qualify for eviction protections. People who earn more than 80% of an area's medium income are not eligible for the money. KCRA-TV reports that yesterday marked the second audit in as many days for the California Employment Development Department, or EDD. The first detailed mismanagement and a lack of preparedness for the economic downturns inside EDD. The new report says that lack of preparation allowed billions of dollars in fraud to get paid out by the state's unemployment department. State Auditor Elaine Howell's latest audit says that from April to August of 2020, EDD made payments to claimants despite concerns about the legitimacy of their identities. 
the department allowed claimants to collect benefits even though they were using suspicious addresses. In one case, 1,700 claims were coming from the same address. Despite those concerns, the EDD still made $1 billion in fraudulent payments to claimants. Ubinet reports that Nevada County public and private school teachers are getting vaccinated thanks to a collaboration between the Superintendent of Schools and Nevada County Public Health. Yesterday was the first day of a three-day clinic where 14 nurses will administer 1,004 doses of the COVID vaccine during the event. The Nevada Union Gymnasium has been transformed into a vaccine clinic complete with a monitoring area for newly vaccinated teachers. This clinic is available to all public and private school teachers in Nevada County who want to get vaccinated. We were also able to secure doses for long-term substitute teachers, said Nevada County Superintendent of Schools, Scott Lay. We've been working in collaboration with the Nevada County Public Health Department, and they've been fantastic. They understood the importance of getting our educators vaccinated to get our kids back in school, to get our community back to where it was in early March of last year. Nevada Union High School gave their gym and their staff to us great help in putting this together, and I really thank them, said Scott Lay. Nine schools and five public health nurses were busy collecting the information that has to be reported back to the state within 24 hours, answer questions, administer the vaccine, and finally monitor for any reaction. Scott Lay said approximately 70% of teachers in Nevada County have signed up when offered the opportunity. Vaccination for teachers is voluntary only. There is no mandate. He stated the collaboration between public health and his office appears to be the first in the state. California Parks have announced the reopening of campground sites for existing reservation holders. The department will be using a phased approach to reopen other state campground sites for new reservations. The public is advised that not all campground sites are open to the public due to the pandemic, wildfire impacts, and other issues. Additionally, group campsites remain closed. Day-use outdoor areas of park units currently open to the public remain open. Updates on the phased reopening will be posted on the department's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts and on parks.ca.gov COVID-19 camping. Information will also be posted on individual park webpages. A UC Davis study has found that counties with a greater number of cannabis dispensary storefronts experienced reduced numbers of opioid-related deaths relative to other locales. This is the first study to examine the association between active cannabis dispensary operations, both medical and recreational, and opioid-related mortality rates at the county level, suggesting that providing alternative pain management could improve public health outcomes. The study was published Wednesday in the British Medical Journal. The article was co-authored by Balzas Kovacs of Yale University. The weather forecast for Grass Valley in Nevada City is calling for cloudy skies this evening with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs near 50. Saturday evening, cloudy with lows in the low 40s. And on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, it should be cloudy with highs in the low 50s. In Sacramento tonight, partly cloudy with lows around 40. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs in the upper 50s. Saturday evening, overcast with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in Sacramento, it should be cloudy with lows in the low 60s. In Truckee tonight, partial clearing overnight with lows in the mid-teens. Saturday, mostly sunny with highs in the upper 30s. Saturday night, a few clouds with lows in the low 20s. And on Sunday in the Truckee region, partly sunny with highs in the low 40s. In Angels Camp, 
Tonight, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, partly sunny with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, increasing clouds overnight with lows around 40. And on Sunday in the Angels Camp area, cloudy with highs around 60. Finally, I just wanted to say that it's been my honor and pleasure to bring you the KVMR Evening News for the past 10 and a half years. Management has now decided to go in a fresh direction. Paul Emery is retiring, and Claudio Mendonca will be taking over as news director next week. Claudio is a good friend of mine, and he's going to do a fine job. Paul will continue to do his Tuesday morning show, and I will see you next Monday from noon to 2 for the Fat Music Show. I'll also be providing news stories for the KVMR Evening News. It's been a blessing to be with you folks on the radio every Friday evening for the last ten and a half years. I'm Felton Pruitt. I'll see you around town. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Biden administration is announcing it intends to take creative steps to get broader public support for its $1.9 trillion COVID-19 rescue plan. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today also saying the administration is watching the development of new vaccines and is taking action to help boost the numbers of people that can be vaccinated on a daily basis. HHS will amend the current PrEP Act declaration to permit recently retired doctors and nurses to administer COVID-19 vaccines. Referring to Johnson & Johnson, the latest company to have a successful vaccine trial, Saki said the administration does not need any new vaccines to be approved by the FDA to fulfill its plan to purchase 200 million additional doses by summer. However, she said it's a positive step if additional vaccines are approved for emergency use. Data released by Johnson & Johnson shows their COVID-19 vaccine candidate is not the most effective vaccine available, but public health experts say it could still be a key tool in suppressing the pandemic. Here's NPR's Ping Wong. Overall, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine protected about two-thirds of its trial participants from getting COVID-19. That's less effective than the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are around 95% effective at preventing all symptomatic disease. Dr. Anthony Fauci, chief medical advisor to President Biden, says the Johnson & Johnson vaccine could still be very useful. This is a single shot vaccine in which you start to see efficacy anywhere from seven to 10 days following the first and only shot. Fauci also says that while people who get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine might still get COVID, the vaccine does appear to be very good at keeping people alive and out of the hospital. Ping Huang, NPR News. The Labor Department is issuing more stringent guidelines for employers to help protect their workers against the coronavirus. NPR's Scott Horsley reports President Biden ordered the new guidelines on his first full day in office. The Labor Department's workplace safety arm, OSHA, is now giving employers detailed instructions on how to keep workers safe through social distancing, for example, and by wearing masks. The guidance also calls for attendance policies that encourage sick workers to stay home. Worker safety advocate Debbie Berkowitz of the National Employment Law Project says the federal advice is long overdue. This is a really big step that signals that OSHA's back into its mission of protecting workers, and that's how you're going to open the economy. If you protect the spread of COVID-19 at work, then we're going to be able to move forward a whole lot quicker. The guidance is just a recommendation for now, but OSHA is expected to issue mandatory safety rules by mid-March. 
Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. A rough end to a rough week and a tough month for U.S. financial markets. All of the major U.S. financial indices tumbled nearly 2% or more today as the tug of war between small retail investors and big institutional firms continued. The Dow dropped 620 points. The Nasdaq was down 266 points. This is NPR. U.S. Capitol Police say they are stepping up security at Washington-area transportation hubs and taking a number of other steps aimed at bolstering travel safety for lawmakers. The moves come as Congress continues to react to this month's chaotic assault on the Capitol that left five people dead, including a Capitol Police officer. The Associated Press says it obtained information in an email. The House's chief law enforcement officer says Capitol Police will be stationed at area airports in Washington's Union Station on busy travel days. Canadian airlines say they will cancel all flights to Mexico and the Caribbean as the Canadian government enacts further restrictions on international travel. Emma Jacobs has more. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said all international flights will now arrive at four airports. Air travelers will have to pay for a coronavirus test and quarantine up to three days at a government-approved hotel, expected to cost over $2,000. Those who test negative can finish required 14-day isolations at home. We will also, in the coming weeks, be requiring non-essential travelers to show a negative test before entry at the land border with the U.S. The latest restrictions aim in part to stop the spread of new variants of the virus. Meanwhile, Canada has widespread transmission at home, including of the new U.K. variant. For NPR News, I'm Emma Jacobs in Montreal. Critical futures prices slipped again following stocks lower today. West Texas Intermediate for March delivery fell 14 cents a barrel to settle at 52.20 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. You are tuned to the KVMR Evening News. We're talking with Stephanie Fisher, the Executive Director of Community Beyond Violence, who are putting on an awareness forum this weekend. It's called Domestic and Sexual Violence, How It Touches Us All. It happens on Saturday from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. It's online and on your local TV. Thank you for joining us, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about the forum and how people can view it. Well, we've been working on this forum. We're partnering with the AAUW, which is the American Association of University Women, the Nevada County branch. We've been working with them for a year and a half to put this on, uh, because originally we had planned to put it on in April and then uh, of 2020, and then COVID hit, and so we postponed it, and so now we finally are getting it out there in a virtual format. So people can watch it on Saturday at 9.30. They can go to nevadacountymedia.org, their website, and click on the Watch Now button, and uh, it'll pop right up there on their screen. You can watch it on your phone, on your smartphone, or on your computer. Now, I understand it's also on local TV on Comcast. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's on Suddenlink and Comcast. Nevada County Media um, can broadcast through that way. Yeah, I'm looking here at the flyer. It says Channel 11 on Comcast and uh, Channel 16 on Suddenlink. You had this planned for April of 2020, and now we're, gosh, almost around to April again. Here we are in January, coming up on February. The situations and the need for counseling and awareness has not dropped, unfortunately. It may have even increased a little bit. It absolutely has increased. Uh, At the beginning of the pandemic last year, we were expecting requests for services to increase for our community, for, for survivors who were stuck at home needing support and services around domestic violence and sexual assault. And unfortunately, for the first, like, three months, 
our requests completely dropped. We were ha- we had hardly anybody accessing services or giving us calls or saying that they needed shelter, and that was scary because we know domestic violence was not not happening, and that in fact it was being exacerbated by the pandemic. And so three months into the pandemic, then all of a sudden we had about triple the requests uh, for services than we did even prior to COVID nineteen, and so. We're serving more people. We're getting more uh, programs out there. We're getting more people connected with the resources that they need than ever before. And so the need is much higher than it was even in 2019 or early 2020. It's a tough subject to talk about. I think one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you bring up this subject in the first place? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it depends on who you're talking to. Are you are you asking for Specifically, if you're talking about it with a friend or to in a public setting? Well, let's say you have somebody that's being abused by their partner, their spouse, be it male or female. So then they would have to go to a third party. Where do they start? They, there's lots of things that they can do. They can give us. We always recommend calling our crisis line. We have a 24-hour crisis line that either somebody who needs our services or a friend or family member who knows somebody who might need our services can give us a call and talk to our advocates any time, day or night. And that crisis line number is 530-272-3467. People can call and tell us their story and get advice and support. And, and our job, our role as advocates are to empower the survivor, to educate them, give them options, and then let them make the decision that's best for themselves. And, and we support them in whatever way we can to to keep them safe and surviving and thriving. Having a conversation with a person who you suspect might be in an abusive relationship can be a difficult subject to broach sometimes. We recommend not using the words domestic violence or sexual assault because those are scary words and sometimes people don't identify as being a victim of those issues. But just really connecting with that person on, you know, how's your relationship going with so-and-so? You know, it seems like maybe you're a little stressed out lately. Is there anything that I can do to support you? Just really making sure that you're a, you present yourself as a safe person for that person to be able to talk to and, and open up about what's going on in their lives. So reaching out to a friend or a family member is a good thing. Like, let's suppose I, I notice a bruise on somebody or something. Where'd you get that? And then they give you, I ran into a door or something. How do you get past that? Yeah, that's a, a common situation. I remember we had a, I had a friend whose mom, when I was growing up, whose mom always had bruises, and I was asking her, my friend, how her mom was getting those bruises, and it's just, oh, you know, she ran into a door or a wall or, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But again, it was just trying to make myself a safe person um, to be able to talk to and just continually checking in and to just make sure that you're a safe person um, to let them know that you could talk to them about anything and that whatever they share with you would be confidential, um, that you wouldn't go right out and necessarily file a police report or, um, or talk to CPS or, or whatever the situation might be, is that um, making sure that somebody knows that you're a safe person. And if you're a mandated reporter or if you have to file a police report, um, making sure that you're sharing our resource, our crisis line, our staff members are not mandated reporters, and everything that anybody shares with us is completely free and confidential. And we're not able to actually reveal any information to, to law enforcement or CPS or any other agency without written explicit consent from the client. 
And so providing that safe space for somebody to be able to open up is probably the best advice I can give in that situation. You are listening to the KVMR Evening News. We're speaking with Stephanie Fisher, the Executive Director of Community Beyond Violence, who have a awareness forum on domestic and sexual violence, how it touches us all, happening this Saturday, tomorrow morning from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. You can watch it at nevadacountymedia.org. Let's continue our conversation with Stephanie Fisher, the Executive Director of Community Beyond Violence. I'll give you a situation that I had years and years ago when I lived back in Santa Cruz. We had a neighbor um, who was actually a meth dealer, and he would beat up his girl. His girlfriend lived with him, and he would beat her up regularly, and she would come over to my house. And I would, you know, take care of her. I would say, do you want me to call the police? And she never wanted to call the police mm-hmm. ever. And this repeatedly mm-hmm. happened month after month after month. And I didn't know what, where to go from there. Yeah, that's, that's a common reaction sometimes for somebody who's in a situation like that. There could be lots of reasons why somebody doesn't want the police involved. Um, just because of the fear of the unknown, they don't know what happened when law enforcement gets involved. There oftentimes is usually threats on behalf of the, uh, the, the abuser threatens the victim that if, if I get arrested or if you try to leave, you know, I'm going to take your kids or I'm going to reveal you may be here undocumented or I'm going to let your friends and family know about your sexual orientation or gender identity using um, important pieces of information for the victims and leveraging it to be able to hold control over their victims so that they, the situation can, can play out the way that they want it to. And so for somebody who's trying to be a support to somebody who might be in an abusive relationship, who doesn't want law enforcement involved, uh, reaching out to your local advocacy center, so Community Beyond Violence is in, in Western Nevada County, we are able to, we have certified staff members to be able to talk to that person um, either as the friend or family member or the actual victim if they're, if they're giving us a call to, uh, to just kind of listen to them and educate and provide options and uh, that's what I would recommend for somebody who do, who's not quite sure what to do. We can help with safety planning. So there might be other options available to that victim. She doesn't want law enforcement, but we're able to work with her to try to, to let her know the pros and cons of getting law enforcement involved and, and helping her make the decision that's best for her in that situation. In many communities around the nation, they're coming up with a different model for how the police interact with the community. And on domestic violence calls, they actually have different people responding to it first than the police. Has any thought been given in Nevada County towards going to that type of model? You know, we haven't had conversations like that with law enforcement yet. Uh, we do know how important law enforcement's job is. Their their job is to, as first responders, is to make sure the first thing that they do is make sure that the scene is safe. And so um, having, I know other communities have had like uh, social workers or advocates be first responders, and we haven't gotten to that level of conversation with law enforcement, not necessarily there yet in Nevada County. We know that the partnership between a law enforcement officer and an advocate is important because the law enforcement officer has their job. Their job is to catch the bad guy and to file a report and, and to enforce the law. And an advocate's job is to be the support for the victim, to make sure that their rights are being adhered to, that they know what their options are, that their needs are being met. And so we have the philosophy here in Nevada County, especially at Community Beyond Violence, that the partnership between law enforcement and advocacy centers and the advocates that do this type of work is is really essential in order to, to meet the needs of our community members. Let's remind people once again, the Awareness Forum on Domestic and Sexual Violence, How It Touches Us All, is happening this Saturday, the 30th, 
from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. You can watch it live on nevadacountymedia.org on your computer that way, or you can watch it on Comcast Channel 11 and Suddenlink Channel 16. Stephanie, why don't you once again just give people phone numbers if they need help now or in the future, what are the phone numbers and resources for them? Anybody can call us anytime, day or night, um, during a holiday, whenever. We're available 24-7 at 530-272-3467. Or we also have a new text line available so people can text an advocate if they want. And that number is 530-290-6555. Or people can go online and chat with an advocate at our website at cbv.org. I'm going to ask you one last question. How are you guys funded? We are primarily funded through the California Office of Emergency Services, so about 90% of our funds come through state and federal grants. We also have several contracts with the county for us to be able to provide services. We are a nonprofit, so we do do some fundraising throughout the year, so we do have to keep some operations going and and the program sustainable, but primarily we're funded through state and federal grants. Well, we'll get back to you when you're doing some fundraising, too, and, and maybe we can help out with that as well. We'd love that. Thank you. All right. So the Awareness Forum tomorrow, that's 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. You can see it at MyNevadaCounty.org and get all the information. I suppose you've got it all up on your website at Community Beyond Violence. We do, yes. So if you go to CBV.org, you'll see a tab up on the top that says Public Forum. You can click on that, and you'll be able to see who all of our expert speakers are. We have a panel of seven wonderful speakers from the community who are going to be speaking to domestic violence and sexual assault and how it intersects with their fields. And so you can see who all of our speakers are, and you can click right into nevadacountymedia.org to be able to watch it from our website. We've been talking with Stephanie Fisher, the Executive Director of Community Beyond Violence. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Next up on the KVMR Evening News, the Public News Service reports on how Oregon lawmakers could freeze mega-polluting dairy farms. Critics say big dairy farms produce a massive amount of waste and pollution, and bills in the Oregon legislature would hit pause on these facilities. The measures place a moratorium on licenses for dairy operations with more than 2,500 cows. Emma Newton is the Oregon organizer for Food and Water Watch and also organizes the Stand Up to Factory Farms Coalition. She says in 2019, Oregon's mega dairies produced 6.5 billion pounds of manure, more than twice the waste from the Portland metro area. This is really an issue that's happening now. We've been dealing with it for a while. We have one of the largest in the country, and these bills would really just give us a time out and allow us to address the issues from these facilities. Dairy is a $1 billion industry in Oregon, and the industry says the moratorium threatens jobs. Lauren Goldberg with Columbia Riverkeeper says the lax regulations for mega dairies is attracting more massive operations to the state. The state treats large-scale industrial operations as though they're small-time family farms, when in fact they are massive polluters of both groundwater and surface water. In 2017, a 30,000-cow operation in Boardman racked up more than 200 environmental violations before being shut down in 2018. Now, Easter Day Farms is proposing a mega-dairy, the second largest in the state, on the same site. Oregon Public Broadcasting reports the same family behind these plans is being sued for allegedly defrauding Tyson Meats in Washington State. 
Newton says her coalition has heard from communities directly impacted by mega dairies. They say they shouldn't have to choose between jobs and a healthy environment. The burden of mega dairy pollution and where these facilities are sited is in communities that are often communities of color. Black indigenous communities of color, and the burden is really carried by them. House Bill 2924 and Senate Bill 583 both are in committee. Newton hopes they receive a public hearing soon. For Public News Service, I'm Eric Tegadoff. It's time for the Grass Valley Downtown Association report with Marnie Marshall. New Grass Valley opening up and the businesses trying to survive, and I know you're trying to help them. We're always trying to help. You know, we love it when people support their local restaurants and get to go food, and I wanted to let you know about a few places that are getting really creative that you might not have thought of, like the Grass Valley Elks Lodge, which are at 109 South Church Street. So they have a big kitchen, and they have Chef Jamal Walker cooking meals, and you can get your to-go lunch between 11 and 1.30 on Thursdays, every Thursday, right there. So you can drive through and get it the day of, or you can pre-order, and you do that by calling 530-273-9228. And then another place that is doing meals that you pre-order and pick up on Friday is the Dow Te Cafe. So that is underneath Body Balance Academy. They're a Kung Fu Academy on Mill Street, and they have different menus each week. So you'll have to go to their website, Tao Te Cafe, spelled T-A-O-T-E-C-A-F-E.com. And you can see the weekly meals they have. You can also get coffee and tea and Japanese beer. So that's really fun. And then we have a couple of retail spots I wanted to highlight because they're new in this last year and we want to support them. Collective Boutique is at 156 Mill Street, and they are where Cult of Gemini used to be, and they just have really lively, fun clothes for women. And then a new women's boutique that opened as well, and it's called Atronova, and that is at 107 West Main they have jewelry making supplies, really stellar vintage rugs. It's really special. So just wanted to let you know that there's new things happening in Grass Valley, and you should come down and check it out. And you can see our website at downtowngrassvalley.com for contact information. That's the Grass Valley Downtown Association Report with Marnie Marshall. Thank you much, Marnie. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. Coming up next, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Have a very safe weekend.